Shut up and sit down. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, it is May 3rd, I want to say, and we are doing this as an emergency podcast. This is an emergency podcast, Mike, and we have a guest on the line. Can I, can I sound the siren real quick? Yeah, hit the, hit the button. Okay, that's bad. Okay. Let's cut that out. And, and we'll, we'll edit that out, much like we edit a lot of stuff out. We have Tim Cato on the line calling from Austin, Texas. Tim is the uh, SB Nation staff writer covering this series for us. Tim, how's it going? Hey guys, hey guys, it's uh, going good, a little bit tired, but also still kind of on high from last night because I don't think I've seen anything like that in uh, at least a few years. I mean, we might as well jump right into it then. Yeah, I, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, that just when you think the sport has seen it all, like something like that happens. And I, I'm really curious to hear about your experiences covering that game in San Antonio as you will be the whole series. Just, I mean, I let's jump right into it. Yeah, by that we mean the last 13 seconds. And go, Tim. Yeah, so so I have a I have a confession to make. At a, at about 20 20 seconds left or 30 seconds left, um, I I kind of scooted down on into the media room trying to beat the rush. So <laughs> I, so I wasn't so so I watched the final game with about like five like five to ten other beat writers around me on a on a television in the media workroom uh on a on a tv it was it was quicker than the tnt broadcast so you could hear the there was two tvs one of them had the tnt broadcast going so you could hear them talking but there was probably a 10 second delay so we watched it happen on on like a uh on a live feed just straight from the arena uh, with no sound. So we weren't sure if the foul was called. And we, we kept looking like several times if somebody next to me was like, no, they just called a foul there. Or there's like, no, they had to call a foul there. <laughs> and somehow throughout the entire thing, it just kept going. And it was like, wait, wait, when are they going to stop this down for the, ca- the for the foul that must have been called? And then, you know, the audio came in over from across the room on the TNT broadcast 10 seconds later. And we realized, wait, 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 th- this this actually went through for 30 13 yep. seconds without a single foul being called. Qu- quick aside, quick aside, Just I have to just put it in because this is the only moment we could say because you said TNT broadcast. I, Chris Weber was really ticking oh. me off, man. Could he? Oh, be- come No, that was no, great. No, I love no, that. No, man. No, I'm sorry. There's one guy who does broadcasting for any of the major networks who just can't be that critical about a late game kind of mistake of the mind. I'm sorry. I, when Chris Weber gets ultimately out of his mind, how could anybody make that type of mistake with 13 seconds left? That's a, that's a foul out of, you know, et cetera. I'm thinking but that's Chris Weber. He, he's one of the, he's made the most boneheaded timeout last second panic play I could ever imagine. Okay. And, wait, 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 but don't you think that makes him more qualified to talk about when something messes up? He's been in that situation before. I totally disagree. That oh, was man. that was my favorite part of the whole thing. He doesn't, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't wait for the replay. He doesn't wait for anything. Tim, you you were at the arena, so you didn't hear this live, I, I presume. I, I heard it way late into the night, but I was I was very impressed. I I saw people talking about it, you know, but I didn't think it would live up to like. Somebody said Tom Ziller said I think in in our Slack channel he was like wow he's he's really angry he was so angry or he was know, angry. So, I loved and, it and then and then I listened to it it was like wow he was angry yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't even wait for a replay he went right in and he said this is wrong it was a foul on Dion Waiters he yeah but 
Imagine let's, recap, if he, let's recap the sequence of events, though. The sequence of events, please. Before okay. that, does Ginobili not step out of bounds in defending him? Yeah, okay, but okay. I mean, I'm not... But let's, that's the that first, is, that is the That would be the least... I mean, there are what? I, I would count maybe 10, well, 9, 10 issues. Let's go through um, them. I think he was out of bounds. That should have been, by the letter of the law a delay a game in a technical, but he was out of bounds for like two milliseconds. You know, that if you watch the whole play, he steps out. The screenshot of him like with his foot on the line, it's very quick. He's not there. I mean, the Deion Waiters jump leaning in bounds and elbowing him is much more egregious than what Ginobili did. Agreed. But, much more egregious. Wait, and, Tim, Tim, where do you fall on that? Um, so the funny thing is that the rule is actually, for some reason, you have to go all the way across the line. Oh. So, uh, or at least this is what I was told by beat writers who actually spent their night looking up the, the NBA rulebook. Um, so apparently Manu might not have even committed a committed a foul on that, maybe. Uh, Although okay. that's really weird if, it, if you have to go all the way across and... It, it it would be different. It would be a different precedent than you know a normal NBA game where you just touch touch the line and it's gone. So that's a very bizarre rule to me. But but he Good might point. have been in the, he might have been in the in the right there. But also uh, I think there's an invisible line that goes up. Like you can't you also can't cross that. I mean, and like I don't three I don't, feet right three something feet. like that. And I don't I don't know how I, I never saw an angle and I don't really know how you would have would have judged that. Well, could so, Kaders have had less space over there? I mean, it, the whole scene was chaotic. I mean, the only word I can think of to describe the last 13 seconds, and we're, we're still in the first second of the of the 13 <laughs> seconds we're going to count down. That should just tell you the depth of this craziness. Is Wait, chaos. no, we're, we're, we're before the first before second. The, yeah, no time has gone off the clock yet. Okay? And, and the third part of Waiter's inbounds is that he jumps, and you can't jump. That's a travel. Right. <laughs> so, so. He, he, there were so many things going on there, and the only word that then ensues, or I should say that, that describes what ensues, is chaos. Um, Tim, you weren't in the building at the AT&T Center. I'm sure you could feel it reverberating. Um, take us down now as, as, as he jumps, as Waiters jumps, passes it in, throws it in the air towards Durant, and what's going through your mind as this is all going on? Yeah, I mean, I I thought I thought he was going to be fouled, or I, I thought it looked like a foul to me. You know, just just seeing KD go to the ground there. I understand, you know, that often isn't called. So, um, and then and then we're all freaking out, you know, because it's a it's a three on one, and how did the Spurs not score? There was, you know, at that point for that brief moment, it was inevitable. I mean, they were about to score a game winning layup, and I mean, I was already starting starting to try to think, you know, how much time is going to be left on the clock, like in that, in that split second. And then, you know, it, it kind of slows down for a second and Danny Green overthrows Patty Mills, uh, just, just enough, just enough for him to, uh, to kind of have to catch it underneath the basket. And that's, that was the game when he lay up right there, just kind of overthrown by it, by Danny Green. It was a panic pass almost. It was kind of like the hot potato. Like he didn't realize the, or he did realize, I should say, the opportunity that was just like gifted into his hand through all that previous chaos. Prada, you're watching this. I'm sure you're going absolutely insane. You're the guy who picked, I think, what Spurs in five. So that that looks slightly less likely now. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it still could happen. What's, it, it can. What's going through your mind as this is all, we, you know, not to mention the, the shirt grab. You could clearly see Aldridge is being held by Ibaka. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're like. There's a lot going on. So this reminds me of, we are both soccer fans. This reminds me of on corner kicks, basically anything goes. Mm-hmm. They never call a, a foul because 
it's in the box all the time. And so yep. if you were to call like a guy for grabbing someone, preventing them from heading the ball, it'd be a penalty kick, and they don't ever want to do that. Except there's no infraction like that in the NBA. The worst thing that could happen is that the uh, the Spurs get the ball back. Right. So this is even less understandable. So you watch it back, and you know. Patty Mills is like hugging Steven Adams when he tries to get open on the pass. I think Kawhi Leonard's holding uh, Russell Westbrook, who had kind of gone into the backcourt and back. So there are maybe like three missed fouls on the inbounds pass. And then he gets it, and it's an overthrown pass. And you rewatch the play, and what Danny Green should have done in hindsight is just dribble to draw the last defender, mm-hmm. uh, Steven Adams. Instead, he overthrows it, and then Patty Mills gets it. Steven Adams hustles back. The rest of the Thunder do too, by the way. Yeah, very commendable. And so Patty Mills brings it out. He finds Ginobili, and Ginobili, what, curls in the lane. And it looks like he's kind of got, what, like a little five foot hook shot runner right okay, there? That, you pause, pause it right there on the play. He does. He has a lane to a floater that he's hit probably more than any single shot in his career in his life is just a, a hook floater going to his left hand or on his left going to his left hand. And and then he passes it. An incredible pass, mind you. Keep going with it, Mike. Well, it was like a great look, but look, I wouldn't call yeah. it a good pass. I mean, it floated in the air a while. It gave Steven Adams enough time to recover to the shot. And he, I don't know if he got a piece of it or he got only a, a if he just disrupted Patty, Patty. Patty said he said it was a clean, clean release that he just missed it, but clearly he disrupted it. Right. Yeah. So he yep. disrupts it. We can talk a little bit about the fan that may have pulled Steven Adams down on the ensuing play in a little bit. And then the rebound is this wild scramble, and Serge Ibaka's basically extended <laughs> both arms, grabbing LaMarcus Aldridge and Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, as Tim can talk about, was very upset about that. Yeah, that was, that was the one thing he complained about. And just to jump back really quick, you know, like the inbounds was the, you know, you've never, we've never seen waiters elbow. We've never seen anyone elbow someone from standing out of bounds. So obviously that's where the, the attention and the, the fury of Spurs fans went immediately. But, you know, when you think about it, when you, when you realize what happened, uh, the, the Spurs fans kind of realized that wasn't the, that wasn't the meaningful play from it. And like, I'll even read you a couple quotes real quick from my, uh, from my, piece could just kind of going through the 13 seconds uh ginobili said uh we had the ball we had a great shot we had a few other opportunities so it's uh so it's things that happened uh Kawhi leonard said we ended up getting a turnover and a steal out of it so you really can't fault it so you know after the after the very bizarre inbounds um they had pretty much moved past that because they were in a better position because they got that steal so you know clearly illegal clearly should have been called something but you know it ended up working out better uh so so what ended up happening was was the ones that the one that aldridge complained about at the very end uh, i mean he never he didn't talk about the inbounds he kind of shrugged that off when asked about it in the press conference but he did say in his opening uh his, the very first question that he was asked uh he, he talked a little bit about you know being grabbed he was like i thought i got grabbed and he clearly was you can see there's there's photos out there where you know abaka has a, a an entire fistful of his jersey and not just a fistful but he's you know like yanked out you know two feet away and and he's he's definitely pulling on him and and it looked for a minute like Aldridge would just be able to offensive rebound that because the bounce uh, everybody was so surprised by the air ball that it, that it actually bounced on the ground right under the basket which you're almost never going to see but it did and it bounced almost right up to Aldridge and he grabbed it for a minute and uh, somebody got a piece of it or he just lost it because people were grabbing on him or something I I never 
quite saw why he lost it. But had he had he retained possession, that's probably a layup in a in a game winning walk off win, almost like the one that Steven Adams did and against the Mavericks in game two that got waved off at the last second. But Aldridge <laughs> would have been time. That would have been incredible if he got the layup and then it was just the same exact thing as Steven <laughs> Adams and it didn't count. That would be poetic justice. That'd be perfect. Yeah. Um, the, the picture that you have, uh, again, in the, in the really good piece that, that you wrote today, kind of summing it up, it's called the frantic final 13 seconds of game two, explained by the Spurs and Thunder. Uh, check it out on SB Nation today, tomorrow, whenever. It's, it's important that you guys realize how ridiculous and how much was going on. And, uh, and Tim does a really good job of encapsulating that. But there's a picture you put up uh, from a tweet or, or some meme or some kind of this uh, from Twitter where the ball is more or less underneath of Aldridge and Ibaka has a handful of the jersey from underneath the armpit. So, like, within the jersey, his, his hand is pulling. It's not just, like, a piece of the outside taking it, uh, you know, out from untucking it, like why you would have it tucked in. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting play. But, Mike, back to your analogy with soccer. How much of this, though, and I'll ask both you guys this, it's just that refs in almost every sport, they ref the time of the game. You you cannot, in their mind, give a guy two free throws unless it is like a punch in the face, which this wasn't, um, and to win the game. A guy like Aldridge, who just seconds before that had hit some you know three clutch free throws. Um, how much of it is just that the refs have to swallow their whistle and let these guys play, and that ultimately that's what Popovich wants, that's what the players want, and that this is just a little bit of sacrifice didn't go their way, but this is how you want this series being called, and ultimately the, the playoffs in general. Like, Craig, what do you think? I mean, do you think the Thunder and the Spurs wanted that ending? No, I don't think they wanted that ending, but I'll, I'll say this, man. like I'd rather the game go like that with no free throws being taken at the end and the, and the clock either expiring on a make or a miss. I prefer that. No, I don't see, see these games thought of as like, oh, those two great free throws that so-and-so hit to put them up one. I, you know, I mean, I just, that's certainly person. we have more to talk about now, I sure. guess. But, I mean, I think I disagree. I think – now – I also admit that it's tough. It's very easy to say, well, just call the game like you called in the first 47 and a half minutes. And if that would have happened, there would have been, what, 10 foul calls? I think in three violations. But at the same time, and I think about this a lot when watching soccer too, I think when you create a culture where you don't call, you say let the players decide the game and you swallow your whistles, you know what's going to happen is the players are going to, test their limits and they're gonna they're gonna commit fouls and they're gonna do ridiculous things like lean over to elbow someone out of the way on an inbounds pass and they're gonna do absurd things like grab two people's shirts or they're going to grab each everybody who's trying to get open and you know at a certain point this is absurd you can't let you can't let people test the limits like that you have to draw a line somewhere and should pop call a timeout slowed everything down no i I I don't stop or were you happy with him playing it through no i think he he made the right decision there i mean no matter what happens you're getting a better look on that scramble situation than you would have otherwise but you know with the referees i mean you got to call the rules at some point and you have to establish a that the rules apply at all points of the game okay, maybe you'll have some people complaining about a borderline call or you'll have a game decided by a free throw. Okay, but the alternative, if you just have the culture all the way the other way, is something like this, where, frankly, that that whole thing was a travesty, the way that game ended. It was an incredibly entertaining travesty. Like, I enjoyed it just as a fan, but that was ridiculous. And really? A that, travesty? And that was, yeah, there were like 10 foul calls. And there, you can't, 
that's a, but, happened but, because of a culture of not calling fouls at the end of a game. And but, uh, that Mike, reaches Mike. from its logical conclusion, and that's not how a game should end. That's not the players deciding the game. That's the officials deciding the game by not calling what the rules should be called. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're selling me a little bit, but... Is it worse to have one real bad missed call, like in Wade's example from the previous series against the Hornets, like a, a single call that is definitely wrong that mi- that misses well, up, or messes up the end of the game, or a sequence of plays that ultimately lets the players figure it out on the court, whether right or wrong? No, I mean, there. First of all, I don't think that Wade call was like guaranteed bad call. I mean, the worst call that they missed was actually in the Raptors uh, Pacers game seven where. Very clearly, DeRozan shoves Jan Mahinmi. I mean, to me, they're the same thing, right? I mean, just because, I mean, just you're, you're saying that it's okay because they cancel each other out, but now you're not playing basketball. I mean, that wasn't basketball. So are you right calling game. for like a revamp of how, we, have how the officiating, uh, I don't know, of, of how the games are officiated, I should say? Is like, it a revamp? It's how it should be. But, but, but if, if there is a systemic playoff issue this season, and this was the, you just said it, this was the logical conclusion of it, then maybe there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. Ken Maurer admitted, uh, Tim, I think this is from the piece that you wrote, that Ken Maurer admitted to having never seen that before. Like, that's not, that's like a, that's almost a Seinfeldian, like, or a, a Dave Chappelle, like, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Like, you need to have an answer. You need to actually know what you're doing. How, how could an official not, because they haven't seen it, not then know how to officiate it? Is that- yeah, that was, that, was, that, was a, that was a weird moment and a weird kind of interesting response from him. Uh, I, I believe they said they didn't see the contact, but also, mm. you know, after that, they said, we've never seen a play like that ever before. So I don't know if they're just saying, you know, we, we watched the replay and uh, we've never seen that happen before. Or if that's, you know, kind of sleight of hand where, you know, we didn't see the contact, but also the contact that we didn't see is something we've never seen before ever. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the, the way, the way the pool reporter works, I mean, it's very much slanted. It's essentially the, 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 the uh, the referees releasing a press a press release. It's not sure. it's not reporters grilling them. Um, it's one reporter. Um, if if I unless I, I might be wrong here uh, because I wasn't fully involved in this process, but uh, certainly the the questions are written out beforehand. And if I understood it correctly, they were presented to the referees rather than even being asked. Wow. Um, okay. So so it's it's a very it's definitely a situation that favors the referees. Uh, they can they can choose what to answer what not to answer and all that are you for uh, the do you like these do you like the two minute report for people listening the, who don't the, know the two minute reports are just the the last two minutes of the game the refs reports uh, as yeah. tim was just talking about are, do you guys like the idea of these that the coaches seem to not yeah like. i mean it's interesting lebron james came out and, and argued against them Dwayne hmm. wade did as well uh yeah i i don't know i mean i think it's an interesting question i, I just wanted to add that context before throwing it back to tim making him answer this question <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would for at least for the two minute reports, I would almost say you know, do the entire game or not do anything at all. I don't think doing just two minutes helps anybody. Um, and I understand why you wouldn't want to do the whole, do the whole game either. So maybe the answer is just don't do it. So I, that's a, <laughs> I mean, I, I know I know why, and it all it all stems from Tim Donahue, you know, back in the day. Uh, it's it's that push for transparency, I, I think. So uh, you know. And ironically, Tim Donahue, when he does the NBA Finals breakdowns for other websites, uh, he does the whole game and he does a pretty good job of kind of 
telling you why something in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, happened because of something in the first or second quarter. They, you know, the games are attached. I think you make a really good point about the whole thing or nothing because yeah. you're going to figure out what the right call in the fourth quarter is, like it or not, Mike, by how the game's been called in the first three. No, I, I think that's true. I mean, the other, the central problem with the two minute thing that is tripping people up is one, it doesn't do anything, right? So it's not like, like, Using the Pacers example, it's not like they replay the game from that missed call, <laughs> you know. So it doesn't really do much more than just point out if a ref screwed up or if a ref did something right. It, you know, it, it has no real actionable item on it, right? So the transparency is nice, but it, it doesn't do anything. And you know, whether it should is is a whole different question. But I think yeah. that explains some of the reluctance to accept it. It's like okay, so they mess up a call like the. The pace, the paces are still eliminated from the playoffs. Right, right. Like right. so, it doesn't make a difference. The other thing is that it doesn't. It's really hard, especially on. A, it's, I'm really curious what the last human report for this will look like because it the explanations for what was right or wrong are very limited. It's like one line if you actually read these things. You know, they have like basically a very short explanation. And as we're seeing in a lot of sports, I mean, the rules are not simple. I no, mean, no, not at all. But they should be. They, they should be. They should be, but I mean, I, this certainly not as bad as the catch rule. But no, football, no. But the, the, football has has the most subjective rules in all of sports, by far. I, in, in my opinion, fo- football does just because the nature of twelve people or eleven people, whatever it is, bashing into each other simultaneously. Right. Like, that'll never happen in another sport. I, I actually looked into this a little bit. With it's it's similar with moving screens, which is kind of an issue mm. earlier in the playoffs. If you actually look at the moving screen rule, it's a lot more complicated than what we think the moving screen rule is. Sure. And it's one of those rules that's sort of written in legalese that can easily be interpreted. And so I actually think that's a good point that Tim makes with the last two minute reports. Like you may as well do the whole game. You're divorcing the last two minutes from the context of how the game is called. Now that said, you still can't have, in my opinion, a last 13 seconds like that. I mean, there's no context that, you know, makes it okay to swallow your whistle on that play. Okay. All right. Then let's talk about the the previous 47 minutes and change. That that got us to that point because maybe there's more to this game than just the refs and just a chaotic 13 seconds. Real, real quick, I do yeah, want to yeah. ask a little bit about the fan that grabbed Stephen Adams. Oh, uh, sure, sure. I know Tim, you didn't see that initially, and nobody did, and that was kind of a very weird moment that you couldn't ask Stephen Adams about. I I wish I I wish I'd been able to. Uh, he he had already finished his press conference by the time I think that started hitting Twitter, and I, I even realized it happened. I, I would have. That I probably would have mentioned it and, and seen if he realized, you know, what was happening there. Uh, I, I actually never, I don't think even to this point, I've seen a good replay of it, you know, with the entire play. It, it definitely looks like he goes flying into the fans there. So, you know, if if he if he partly was to cause for that fan, you know, getting knocked over, knocked down, and that fan was just trying to keep her balance or whatever it was you know i think that's that's possible and a very innocent innocent solution for uh something that initially seemed kind of you know not you know just a uh, dirty or i don't know dirty i don't know if i nefarious <laughs> nefarious yeah sure that, that's that's the adjective i'm looking for see this is this is why he's he's my mike's, editor mike's <laughs> the editor that's right well done mike he, yes he um that word um yeah, yeah so i 
<laughs> I, I don't I don't know I don't know if it was uh if how intentional or what exactly happened there and certainly it did it had no impact on the play itself but it was just a very weird moment in in a very in an already weird enough 13 seconds that was just another thing to add to the list yeah it, it looked to me like one of those moments where you lose balance on the subway and like the train stops abruptly and someone's tumbling there and you fall over someone and as a way of sort of keeping your balance because a it sort of looks like the woman sort of falls down, and as a way of trying, just instinctively you grab onto the latest thing, and yeah. like you end up staying grabbed onto so- someone else, and they kind of after the end they give you a glare because uh, they're wondering, all they're thinking about is like why are you grabbing me? This is uncomfortable. But right. realistically, it couldn't have been avoided. But man, if that was intentionally grabbing, like if that's what it actually was, instead of what I'm saying, I mean. Jeez, what what a thing to add to the layer of everything else that happened on that play. It's like the famous old paintings where there's a central thing in a painting and then like off in the top right corner there's something really actually important happening. <laughs> That's what the scene was set as right there is uh, The only the only thing Mike's analogy made me think is now I'm imagining Stephen Adams in a subway and how, <laughs> how he would try to fit into one of those and you know him you know would he would he try to sit down he would, would he take up two seats probably oh definitely or, he, he yeah, keep yeah, his yeah. backpack on in the uh, and when he should be taking uh, it off he'd but be but that then person. but then he's he's trying to he's trying to get out of the subway and he's so nice and he has that he has that the Kiwi accent and he's just like oh I'm I'm sorry mate excuse me love uh, I'm yeah. just gonna need out of the subway here yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, Seriously, one of my favorite things has been just experience, experiencing his uh, his accent in his dialect. Yeah, if you, uh, it, down, though, if you made him down to like six one or something, he'd fit in so well in Brooklyn. It would make everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I live in Brooklyn. I can say that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. But he he definitely and, and Mike. Where's uh, where's he from? Where's uh, Stephen Adams from? New Zealand. Thank you. We Thank got you. It right this time. We got to have at least a listener or two in Australia and, and New Zealand. And Mike before had said that he was from Australia, so we obviously I'm going to bring that up every time we talk about Stephen Adams in this segment. Okay, now let's get to those first 47 and change minutes. Uh, let's see. So I have some notes from the game. Mike, I want to get your thoughts on a, on a few things, as you saw logistically, um, or say schematically, that changed from the Spurs' 124-92 drubbing in Game 1 to the Spurs losing by one point at home for their second loss of the season at home. Yeah, I, this is what... Okay, this is why I get so frustrated by the Thunder uh, all year, and it's that... How is it they have the talent defensively to really disrupt teams? And you saw it in game two. So then how is it that you have these game one just no-shows on that end? I mean, okay, they made some schematic changes. But, I mean, the biggest difference is that they actually tried. That's it. That's the biggest thing you saw, X's and O's aside, just effort? Yeah, I mean, they did a couple different things. They uh, they seemed to trap the Parker-Aldridge pick-and-roll a little bit more. They mostly single-covered Aldridge, although they occasionally would send a double from the baseline. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think they may have changed some matchups a little bit. They, You saw much more of just Ibaka guarding Aldridge. I think the adjustment in Game 1 was to put Adams on him a lot, and that didn't work quite as well. It was something that I thought they might do later in the series. They tried it out early. didn't work as well. Aldridge obviously had a big game. 
He's uh, incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he had an incredible game. Yeah, but they mostly just kind of let him go to work against Sabaka. But no, I mean the biggest difference is that Russell Westbrook, when these screens are set, is really more on the guy's hip. They're closer to the the roller. They're at least fighting Aldridge for position. I mean, they made him work a lot more than yeah, he, he did in game one. He worked more, but he just showed off his full array of moves more too. I mean, he he you know what he reminds me of man. It's like. Uh, kind of a Rashid Wallace 2.0. Yeah. Like, you know, he doesn't have a three-point range that Sheed had at the end of his career yet, but he's obviously getting there more and more now by last game by any uh, measure. And then it just his his moves around 18 and in, and then if he gets a look, he's shooting from above his seven-foot head. So he, he can hit it. Um, he's the best mid-range jump shooter I've seen um, in the NBA this year. Well, what about Dirk? I mean, uh, no, with Dirk and aside from probably Steph, but that's different. I mean, it's similar to Dirk, but I feel like it's it's better at this point. I don't know. It, and definitely the way he is now, and maybe this is part of it, what the issue was for the Spurs, but were they leaning too much into Aldridge and, and to Kawhi and not then kind of doing what got them there? Well, first off, I mean, I'm I'm the Dirk guy here, so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say, uh, I I would say that uh, that Dirk consistently takes uh, more more difficult shots than Agreed. Aldridge, but Agreed. but I, I I agree. I know what I know. You're exactly what you're saying, and he has been incredible this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was your second question there? I had to I had to sidebar real quick. <laughs> no, no. It just it, did the Spurs lean too much into Kawhi and Aldridge last night? I mean, they they both had really good games, but they only had 97 points, and it felt like in game one maybe it was more balanced, a little bit more of a team game, and they they had a buck 24. Were they leaning too much offensively uh, into into those two guys? Well, a lot of it for me comes back to that that slow start for them, and where they they looked like they didn't know what they were doing. You know, the and the weird thing, like Mike said, the Thunder really didn't change their defense, and the Spurs were just throwing the ball all, all over the place. Uh, had several more, uh, you know, five, six turnovers, I think, in the first quarter. Um, they just got weird looks and weird shots, and I, I honestly don't know without going back and looking at that, I, I don't really know uh, where that came from or why exactly that happened. That was, that was a really weird yeah. moment. Uh, yeah, I mean, essentially, the Thunder were just trying harder. I mean, I, I don't think it's that simple, but also... I think that's what Abaka said. I think I think that's a verbatim quote from him after the game. And if I'm an OKC fan, I don't know if I like that or if I don't like that. Like, yes, it is good that they played better and played harder, but at the same time, I mean, Mike, you, you hit it on the head. How infuriating is that? As a basketball fan, that's infuriating for me. As someone who's probably emotionally invested in the team, it's just like you're in the Western Conference semis. Play hard every game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't totally trust them to win this series at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, I think that this year, and I, I tweeted this, and I, I think it's something to think about. What they, with Billy Donovan coming in, they sort of toned back some of their trapping, blitzing, aggressive defense a little bit and tried to play a little more conventionally, like they, they ice the pick and roll and, you know, drop back, kind of what the league is going towards. And, I think that took them away from their identity and what makes them special, you know, is that manic athleticism and length. And, you know, even though Ibaka is not as mobile as he used to be and Adams is more of a traditional five, I mean, those guys are tough to score on. Oh, yeah. And and so I thought that in game two, especially early on, while they didn't necessarily go back to that blitzing style, they were – playing under Brooks, they were more aggressive. They were in people's faces more. They were more manic. And that is was enough. It's been enough in the past against the Spurs. And it was enough in this game again where 
the Spurs sort of rushed it a little bit, and they, you know, they still got pretty good shots, but they were a little bit more anxious. The shots didn't go down. They were also getting stuck with two big men under the hoop trying to rebound, and now all that did was that triggered Russell Westbrook's transition game, and that is un- and he's unstoppable in the open floor, especially when the Spurs can't get back their bigs. And he killed them in the first quarter, and that proved to be really important. And yeah, I agree and- completely, man. That that's Mike, just, yeah, go ahead, Tim. Oh, I have a, I have a question for Mike, and uh, this this was I, I want to know if you can make heads heads or tails of this because I could not, and and pretty much no one at the Spurs game could. Uh, what was going on with those small ball lineups that, that, uh, that Donovan went to at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter? It was it was Kevin Durant at the four uh, next to Cantor plus Cameron Payne, Anthony Morrow, and Deion Waiters. And if you look at the, if you look at the box score, those five all have very significantly lower plus minuses <laughs> than everybody else because they got, they got torched. They, they got torched in the first quarter, and then they stuck with it in the second quarter, and it still worked out bad, and then they went back to it. Donovan went back to it to close the third quarter, and they still got beat at it. It was the weirdest thing, and I could not figure it out. For for a small ball lineup, they were getting the worst shots imaginable. There was no offensive rhythm whatsoever. Did, did that make any sense to you? Uh, I think logically, I, I guess what they were trying to do is they were saying – San Antonio doesn't really have a post-up big. I mean, because San Antonio didn't play Diaw that much, which is a little curious. You know, they don't have a post-up big to really hurt us. I mean, David West got one very memorable offensive rebound on Durant. But otherwise, I'm not sure that's someone they're really scared of. They don't – the Spurs didn't have their kind of tall wings. And so I think there was – they were trying to open the game up a little more. I mean, the problem though is that they just don't have good wings and they they're bad on defense. And that was a problem in in the game. And that's what killed them. While we're talking about curious lineup decisions, I want to throw this one out there. Um, I'm curious if anyone asked Popovich or the Spurs about this after the game, why did Popovich sit Leonard with two fouls at the end of the first half and leave Monty Ginobili to guard Westbrook and that 1-3 pick and roll that the Thunder kept going to and killing the Spurs on. You know, why was Pop so conservative with Leonard's minutes in this game? I, I was very confused about that. I thought that was ultimately a very poor decision. That I mean, they lost ground at the end of the first half, and that would have made the difference in the game. He wasn't asked about that. Um, uh that there was a there's a couple other things going on. I don't know if you heard, but. <laughs> and uh, I mean he was he was not in he was not giving answers really. You know he was he was as pop as usual. You know sometimes he's in a slightly better mood, but after that he was he was uh, pretty pretty set on getting getting uh, doing what he needed to do and getting out of there. I think I think only one of his answers went more than one sentence. So. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking at Leonard's minutes now. I know he only had 25 at the end of the third quarter, despite finishing the game with only three fouls. I mean, he had two fouls at the time. He, uh, I'm looking it up right now. He played 35 minutes, which, you know, it's it's a playoff game, and he's your best player, so you think he should play more. He had, again, only three personal fouls, only two after halftime, and I'm trying to look at the play-by-play yeah. to see when he went out. And the way they were calling it, man, they weren't going to call a foul on him anyhow. Right. I mean, I, I was just. I mean, it, I know it's like kind of sacrilege a little bit to criticize Popovich, but I thought that was very strange, and I thought being overly conservative there really cost them. I'm looking again, at trying to figure out the exact number of points they gave up, or whether they even gave up a lot at all. Mm. Uh, 
I'm trying to find it, but I mean, you remember? I mean, Westbrook and Durant were just scoring on that one-three action all the time, and, all day long. Man, it looked great last night. And poor Monte Ginobili is stuck guarding one or the other. And dude, I, dude, I'm glad you brought that up. Russell shook him a few times, where you know the pull-ups where the other player just keeps running. He did yeah. that twice to him, and that that's not a good look for Ginobili. You're right; he's on an island out there. Right. I, I just, I mean, why would you, I understand that if Leonard has three fouls, but he only had two. And I thought that, and then there was also at the beginning of the fourth quarter, they make this run back. And I, I don't want to turn this into like nitpicking of coach decisions. I just think as long as we're talking about strange lineup calls, I think it's important to have balance here. They, what, they come out with, I believe, West, uh, Kyle Anderson, Patty Mills, Ginobili, and I honestly forget who the fifth guy was, but they sat Leonard, Aldridge, Parker, Duncan at the beginning of the quarter, and they made up all this ground, and then they lost it, and they had to bring their starters back in. Mm. Again, I'm just saying, as long as we're talking about odd lineups, I think sure. we have to kind of talk about it both ways. And I wanted to make one point on what Tim had mentioned about kind of that beginning of the game, how, how the Spurs started off poorly, and I think that mentally – the entire series shifted on the beginning of the game, of this game too, because I think that Oklahoma City, although they came out, they did play harder. If that first quarter goes similar to game one, I'm not so sure that the next three quarters follow suit and play with the same intensity. So I think that that kind of getting life in the beginning, even the fact that it was like a four or five point game, eight point game, not that they went out and blew the Spurs away, but just that they could see that this game was going to be different, played at a different pace. The Spurs in, uh, in game one, had eight turnovers and 39 assists. And the Spurs in game two had 19 assists and 10 turnovers. So all of a sudden you lose 20 assists and you gain two turnovers. That's going to change the complexion of the game. Um, and I think it really played out like that. The more turnovers, uh, the less assists, the less fluidity the, you know, to the game, the more that's going to help a team who wants to play helter-skelter like Oklahoma City. So I think there were some pretty telling signs early on that may have led to the most helter-skelter final 13 seconds of the game, uh, ironically. But uh, the last thing I wanted to ask uh, both you guys, because we're going to tie this up, with this series now being 1-1, and Mike, you predicted this series ending in 5 for the Spurs, did you want to change your prediction? And then, Tim, I'll get your rest of the series prediction as well. I'm not going to be do that. Okay. I'm not going to change predictions. It's a weasel way out. <laughs> Okie dokie. And Mike is sticking for Spurs in five. Tim, where do you see this uh, ending up? Oh, man. I, I I think I avoided making a public prediction anywhere on this series because I, <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me nervous. Um, I, I guess I think I still got Spurs in six. I mean, I think they they can get back to that game one performance. And if they do that, I don't think Oklahoma city can touch them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's adjustments they can make, but just going into game two, I was talking with some people and I like, we, we could envision ways where, you know, the thunder had a much, much better game and they'd still lose by 10. I mean, if, <laughs> if the Spurs kept up that same level of performance and I think, you right. know, a lot of it just comes down to them. I, I don't think the Thunder made any big adjustments that slowed them down and is going to stop them the rest of the series. I just think that the Spurs can be that good some games and, you know, I, I think they will be. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, well, I think they will be. And I, I don't, I don't think that Oklahoma city is going to be able to slow them down when, when they get going like that, like they will. One of the things that's interesting about the history of these series, and I, I wonder how much of a role, Tim, you think this will play, is that this was the second win by the Thunder uh, in a in San Antonio uh, in their many series. 
And the Spurs have only won in Oklahoma City once, and that was Game 6, the close-out game in 2014, that amazing Kawhi Leonard block. Mm. Otherwise, the home team has dominated in this series. I mean, Tim, do you think that will hold up? Um, it makes sense. After being in both arenas, I would I would even say that uh, Oklahoma City, uh, their, their home court advantage is incredible. San Antonio is very good, very, very good. But uh, Oklahoma City... You know they're they're loud. I mean, it is you. It's like shout shout to the neighbor next to you loud, especially especially during opening lineups in that first quarter. There, that I've very been very impressed with their uh, with their uh, arena and their fans and their presence there. Um, but yeah, both both are definitely massive home court advantages. You know, in terms of the fans and all of that. Um, clearly, that factors in. You know, historically, the, that's clearly an impact. But uh, I mean, I, I don't think that I can. I'm not going to go so far to say that the Spurs can't win in Oklahoma City. You know, historically, it's interesting that they haven't. But whenever you have Popovich, and you know, whenever you have a veteran team like they do, uh, I, that's that's not something that really concerns me. I think they're they they can definitely win and win in Oklahoma City, and I would expect them to probably take at least one of these games coming up. What, right. What's interesting too is the Spurs, though. They went, what, 41 at home. They lost 14 road games. So there's a big home road split. I mean, look, you you go, what is that, uh, 27 and 14 at, on the road. It's still quite good, like, no question. But there's a difference there. And, you know, guys like Danny Green and Patty Mills and some of these role players don't play as well on the road. Absolutely. And then you also throw in that – if we're talking about Oklahoma City's advantage over the Spurs historically being that sort of manic pressure that they got away from this year but kind of brought back enough of in Game 2, that kind of dials up a lot more with loud fans in Oklahoma City. So I think I think Game, game 4 strikes me as an all-time classic potentially in this series. I mean, certainly Game 3 is going to be very important, but I think just – with this being a 2-1 series and the tenor of the series changing one way or the other with the with with the result there game 4 to me is always the most interesting game of a series and I think it will especially be so in this one. All right. Well, we'll have to uh, reconnect with uh, with Tim on the road here as he travels from uh, the south of Texas to I don't know south central Oklahoma. That's pretty accurate, right? It's 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 almost dead in the middle, Oklahoma City is, to be honest. So There you go. Nice. There you nice. Go. And you get to do the full tour of Texas right into Oklahoma. Into Oklahoma City for uh, for the next game, which is on what? Uh, Friday. Friday. That's right. Nice break here. So uh, Yeah, well, one last thought on the game I just want to throw out there. I think uh, we need to give Deion Waiters some credit outside of the uh, foul that was not called. He uh, – I was he kind of opened my eyes a little bit with the way he was able to guard Kawhi Leonard. I think there were a couple plays where he just stayed right in his face, forced tough turnarounds. You know, he is. I was impressed by that, and I think for someone who's often a punching bag, I think he deserves some props. That was an adjustment that the uh, Thunder did make that worked out. I don't know if it'll continue to work out, but for yeah. one game, I was I was very impressed by that. He's he's strong. I mean, he. Kawhi bodies guys a lot. He likes to play close to people and, and body them. And, and Waiters has a good physique to be a, to kind of bump around with him. But uh, we'll see if that that holds true, man. That could have been a one game. Now the challenge has been uh, issued, and Kawhi can respond accordingly in uh, in game three. But uh, good, cool. So subscribe to Limited Upside Podcast. Uh, find us on iTunes. Rate us. Review us. Same thing on Stitcher. Same thing on SoundCloud. 
again, limited upside podcast. We're going to continue to follow the playoffs. We have, like we said, Tim Cato, thank you so much for joining us, dude. I'm from Austin on your way up to Oklahoma. Appreciate you uh, taking the time, man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me on, and this was fun, and hopefully we can get another uh, 13-second uh, insanity. Uh, if it happens, <laughs> definitely have me on. <laughs> okay, fantastic. We we will, and, and hopefully the NBA uh, never, ever lets that happen again. They're going to get a strongly written letter from the one Mike Prada about yes, that they being will. egregious. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Cool. Well, again, uh, until next time, Limited Upside Podcast.